Michelle LaVon Robinson, girl of the South Side. For the past 25 years, you have not only been my wife and mother of my children, you have been my best friend. You took on a role you didn't ask for, and you made it your own with grace and with grit and with style and good humor. Welcome back to Politics. After an extended break for our mental health and to observe um, certain religious and uh, non-denominal holidays, my name is Tim Bat, and I'm from New Zealand. Hello, Tim. My name is Jeb Lund, and I am from both coasts of uh, these great United States. Is the word that I was looking for denominational or denominal? I think it's denominational. Yeah, We're off yeah. to a real flying start back to 2017. I feel like that's really setting the tone um, for what we can all expect, which is very little. Uh, but it's it's good to hear your voice, Jeb. It's great to have you back. Um, can I ask before we dig back into the wasteland that is the American um, political landscape now, how, how was your break? How was your Christmas and your New Year's? Uh, you know, you know, it was a mixed bag. Uh, um, right before Christmas, I went to New York for a couple of days to uh, remind editors uh, that I was flesh and blood and could be wounded and hurt and that I was also unemployed. And I, I like to think that I did the, the Disney big eyes thing. Oh, cool. Uh, so hopefully that would, that will have a salutary effect. Um, and then I got sick. Uh, it, when I was there, it was supposed to be about 45 degrees. It wound up being about uh, 30 one thirty three the entire time I was there and I, I got very ill and came home and I think gave it to my family and then had guests uh, in the house for almost a week and then uh, got ill again <laughs> and, did you uh, infect the guests I may have the thing is you know when you have a small child uh, you can blame all of that on them yeah you're a good scapegoat very bad at yeah. fighting back no one They're gives them any credibility too. they are moist Little bacteria factories. Yeah. Um, well, well, that's that's not entirely positive, but um, but well, but I got to see family and I got to take a break and of course I got to watch I got to watch a little kid open presents, which is oh, cool. phenomenal. I mean, if you can just give well, first I mean you don't even really need to give them presents if you give them wrapping paper and a brown like a cardboard box. If they're you know a certain age, they're pretty much set as it is, and and so. And that was just a, a fantastic Christmas, and uh, we don't really have Boxing Day, but my family just sort of sat around and opened up other things. So nice! You got to take advantage of that while the kid's young enough, because they grow out of it real quick, and then they want very expensive licensed merchandise. Yeah, I mean, they're like, "Buy me Bone Storm or go to hell." And yeah, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I'm an unemployed writer. I can't buy them Bone Storm. I can get them a cup and ball thing. Yeah, but nice. <laughs> what what about you? What did you know? Uh, I I understand it. You know, obviously because of the shape of the globe and how we revolve around the sun, that it, you you obviously would not have had a white Christmas. It was Jeb, probably sweltering. It's been great. Um, we we obviously had the election, your election, in early November, and uh, everything went to pot. And even all my friends over here were quite depressed for a number of days, and we just walked around not really knowing what to do or say to each other. And then the sun shone, and then Christmas came up, and everything was great for a while, and we could forget about our troubles. And I, I went to the beach a lot and uh, saw, saw some families, um, hung out with my partner's family. Uh, lots of beaches, lots of sunshine. It was wonderful. And now it feels like everything has come thick and fast back into focus. The real world is starting to turn again. 
and um, to beautifully use my radio skills that I applied my trade in for five years professionally before uh, quitting because they kept not giving me a pay rise above minimum wage. Uh, Let's do a segue, which is how sad was it being reminded of how cool Obama was at his farewell speech? I take it you've you've seen the farewell speech, you've dwelled on the farewell speech? Yeah, I had that, uh, you know, maybe other people have this sort of reaction too, where I was watching it and I thought I had all these clever and original thoughts about Obama. And then uh, just to double check, I went back and, and looked at something I'd written before and realized that all of my clever and original thoughts were just the good parts of a pre-existing column. So I, I just <laughs> sort of, yeah, I was like, well, I'm not going to write anything now. Uh, so I just sort of sat and enjoyed it. And, uh, uh, you know, the thing I had written was that, you know, it, it's so rare to get two naturally gifted orators as president, you know, within a basically a generation. And, and the Democratic Party, or really America in general, because obviously George W. Bush was not much of an orator, nor was his mm-hmm. father. But, you know, the Democrats had Clinton and then Obama. And, you know, Clinton was able to to personalize things, personalize policy to people in this this amazing way. You know, I had this pathological need to convert a room. Yeah, you'd be in a room and there'd be a hundred people in the room who who was who were on his side, and there, the hundred and first would be against him, and he would devote all his time to converting that guy, which was nutty but kind of amazing. And then Obama didn't do the granular policy thing, but he did the oratory and the the aspiration and sort of yanked you upward into what you hoped America could be. And as I'd written in that column and as I was feeling uh, last night when when I watched that farewell speech, uh, uh, I I just kept thinking, I'm not going to see this again for a very long time. Yeah, that is probably true due to how the pendulum swings, huh? Because whatever the answer is to Trump, it will kind of, it'll be like Trump's inverse, which I I don't think is Obama-esque. Obama-esque is like a, a calming balm in the middle of the pendulum swing to just marry two completely disparate metaphors. But whatever comes next will be another firebrand, right, from the left. Is that a pretty reasonable expectation? Yeah, I mean, I don't know who... The, the, I can't answer that question without looking at their their bench, which yeah. is virtually non-existent. Um, What's very old, the exciting figure, I mean, realistically, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, if if you're saying the word firebrand and on the left, those are the two people who immediately come to mind. They're not, no spring chickens. No, and and, uh, Sanders will, uh, you know, by every really plausible scenario, have aged out of the gig Hmm. by 2020. So it's, it's a matter of do you know? Do uh, do the Republicans gut or hamstring the Consumer uh, uh, Financial Protection Bureau so much that there's nothing left for Warren to sit around and protect? And that with mm. a relatively safe seat, if there's a decent, because there are a couple of up and coming Massachusetts politicians who could potentially take hers, then she could run. But after that, you've got O'Malley again, or uh, you know, oh, um, oh my God, it's such a scary thought. No, this that, come on. Surely, there's there's even right now. Even though I know that um, Trump hasn't been inaugurated, so we're really putting the cart before the horse here. But there's there's better than O'Malley. That was a joke, right, Jeb? Right, Jeb? I, Jeb. I, I feel like I feel like I have a, a column defending O'Malley, like somewhere in me that I'll, I'm going to have to get to at some point. Because oh I, I, uh, I would love yeah, to hear I, that defense. 
But <laughs> getting back to the speech, I absorbed um, a lot of it uh, kind of audio only because I was either playing the uh, YouTube stream of it and kind of doing other things or little um, bits got replayed on podcasts and things. But in particular, the one bit that I would uh, highly recommend if you don't watch any of the rest of it is his address um, to Michelle uh, is, is, is really sweet, man. It's really sweet. We, oh, it's just it's just a bit sad because we're going to be in such a different gear for at least the next four years. And um, he teared up. He pulled out a little hanky, wiped away some tears. And I mean, just such a model of this. This is this is a very clunky analogy because of recent news. But if you just took the television persona in the late eighties, like that Cosby's family of upstanding African-American, lovely marriage, like a lot of problems being thrown at them, but working their way through sort of thing. It was just like this this lovely vision um, of dignity. And then what's coming next is, uh, who we? <laughs> so tarnished that it was plausible that he had hired some Russian hookers to piss on a bed um, that the sitting president had slept in. We're going to get into that later. But yeah, that, that I, is I, a guy I, where it wasn't outside the realm of possibility that that, that story could have been true. I, I definitely have a lot of uh, uh, urine material I, I'd like to work on later. But uh, what, what I liked about the Obama thing and, and I've always liked about him and Michelle Obama is if if we are going to corporealize uh, politics in these people and, and, you know, America is very good at that. We, we decide that we need to make our leaders our friends and we have to admire them on an emotional level rather than just evaluating, do they have a good politics and do they execute it? Uh, and, and given the fact that we are so prone to that, I think we were very lucky to have the two of them because when you see these farewell things where somebody thanks their wife or what, you know, or maybe they, they, they're inaugurated and they thank their wife. Mm. It's almost like they're thanking just sort of a bric-a-brac. It, you know, there's not really an engagement with the person there. Yeah. Um, because for, you know, for so much of it, especially for conservatives, the wife is not supposed to be ever to outshine her husband. And mm. the Obamas seemed fairly comfortable with, uh, you know, Michelle having her own agenda and, having something to do and having her own personality. And, and I know, you know, people who work in the white house who are constantly trying to badger her into doing things and, and being more of a, a political figure. And, you know, she was very adamant about, no, screw that. I'm not doing that. I don't yeah. enjoy doing that. You're not conning into that, but I, I am interested in, in kids health. And, uh, you know, I am interested in going out and, 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 uh, you know, promoting like, the outreach aspect of the white house in, in a way that is my own. And, and so to see him say, thank you for coming on this journey with me, especially, you know, going back to knowing in, in 2008 that she was very reluctant to have him do it. Yeah. And that actually meant something because it, it was a, you know, I did have to ask permission because I valued your opinion yeah. so much that you could have said no. Yes. And the fact that you made the best of it and helped me in this way great and and you know that combined with all the white house photos over the years where they genuinely seem to really enjoy being around each other and i i that was just very welcome i mean if we have to bring these people into our living rooms and equate politicians with friendship and and or acquaintanceship i'm glad that we got you know something other than sort of the the potemkin household that you get with so many politicians yeah 
it, it was very sweet and very um genuine and long lasting and i I can't imagine anything that would test your relationship more um than the white house one thing that i heard some people comment on and i don't know because i haven't gone back and um, watched uh previous farewell speeches recently or at all in many cases of outgoing presidents but um one thing that was noted is that a lot of former presidents as they leave uh expressed out loud to the public what their regrets were over their term and Obama didn't seem to do that um my take was that we probably uh as the world and you as Americans more specifically kind of needed that 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 was probably a mental calculation that there's already so much shit coming down the pipe that you probably just needed the most rose-tinted positive version of events for right now um, considering America's psyche. Would you agree with that? Or do you think there's things that he could have highlighted and should have highlighted that didn't go to plan? Well, so I saw a funny graphic and, and no reason to believe it wasn't true, but it was number of times that Obama mentioned democracy, 20. And then, you know, number of times George W. Bush mentioned democracy in his farewell address, one. Number of times Clinton said the word democracy, zero. You know, and, and kind of going back and, and, you know, Obama said it by far more than any other departing president in history. And so I think, it, you know, to kind of look at the two part answer, the first part was that speech is really pretty much a rewritten version of a lot of his 08 stump speeches, his 2012 stump speeches. It's basically the Obama speech. Yeah. But if you looked, if you kind of go down and to the the sentence by sentence level and parse what he's doing. It was, let me buck up your faith in the American experiment and your ability to be the thing that changes America versus Trump saying at the RNC, I am your voice. I'm the one who can fix things. And it was by invoking democracy and the power of, of crowds working together, no matter how small the stature of people in them, I think it was this long subtweet rejection of authoritarianism. Absolutely. Um, and so that was, you know, kind of like what you're saying, that's what people needed. And I think maybe where, where he didn't address his failings might have been a calculation of, I don't want you to be bummed out right now. You need to yeah. buck up. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, everybody can litigate what I did wrong later. I mean, there were certain things where, for, you know, he tried to like stovepipe talking about free markets in things that ISIS hated. And you're like, okay, I don't know, know what that is. Uh, and he talked about, you know, what, trying to close Guantanamo. Like, I mean, if you really wanted to, uh, you know, we, we could have done a lot more on that. And, yeah. uh, you know, he invoked the importance of unions. And one of the first things the Obama administration did was they took card check and said, fuck it, we don't care. And, like every democratic president of my lifetime, like we really care about unions. We're not going to do anything for unions. And then we're going to wonder why our get out the vote ability diminishes every four years. But Hey, real quick, the, what's card check? Explain that to me briefly. So card check was basically a way of, of certifying unions more easily because you, you basically, if you've got a shop of people and you want to organize, if you just get like 50% of them to kind of vote for, we want to be in a union, you don't have to go through this longer certification process. And basically, because the Republican Party has done such a good job of hamstringing unions, this was thought to be a way of like, we can more rapidly expand unionization and try to get it back to 
you know, it's it would take a very long time to get it back to the post-war state of America, but at least halt the uh, the withering power of unions. And it was something that, you know, the unions backed Obama um, and they were really hoping for, and it just sort of disappeared. And uh, in, in that, like, well, it's not feasible. We have to do the, we have to do the stimulus. We have to do healthcare. Right. And it's one of those things that's aggravating if you, if you are worried about the Democratic Party's capacity to get out the vote in off years and also to, you know, expand its sort of activist base because one of the, you know, the, the power for getting out the vote that the Democratic Party used to have was union power. Yeah. Because you get shop leaders who, who marched people out to the polls in the same way that, you know, black preachers do souls to the polls. You show up at our meeting. Hey, guess what? We're all going to go vote now. And right. so while it's disappointing at the time, the effects are felt down the line because having that organizing capacity helps you in the off year and helps you in contested elections and also helps you with uh, the working class, which the Democratic Party hasn't been so good at doing things for. And so this was another thing that they didn't do. And Obama just sort of invoking the importance of of, uh, uh, of organized labor was great. And I, and I think he mainly meant it as a kind of reminder of what we need to push back against during the Trump years. Yeah. But it was also a reminder of how you don't hear about the value of labor out of the Democratic Party, really, except for every four years. And yeah. labor certainly notices that, which is why a lot of those people voted for Donald Trump. So in closing for this first segment of the podcast today, Jeb, what would you give out of 10 for Obama's farewell speech? Oh, man. Like, if you'd never heard it before... I mean, like a nine. If you have heard it before, I mean, and, and, and this is weighted against the sort of normal caliber of American oratory, you know, yeah. an easy seven. Is that against you? Obama or against uh, sort of all American presidents? Well, I mean, against Obama because he's hit bigger heights and because he was recycling so much material. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, there were so many standard Obama tropes and given the severity of what's going on, maybe he could have deviated from hope a little bit and you, you know, you have the power to create change and maybe talk a little bit more about, uh, I, I know personally, a lot of people I know were upset that he didn't address pragmatic ways to, uh, for average citizens to get involved. He said, you know, go out and get a clipboard. Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta find somebody to give you the clipboard and tell you which houses to knock on. Um, oh yeah but i mean come on man i would definitely push back against uh those pals of yours because it's a it's a president's farewell address you know you get the top line item you go and you google it you didn't need to have a five-step program in there there's it's trying to cover a lot of stuff i myself am probably in line with you i would give it a high eight i reckon overall um some good takeaway tips uh, talk to internet people in real life <laughs> it'll do wonders yeah. i thought that was nice and uh the aforementioned outpouring of emotion when he was you know as as much as barack obama does in public um for michelle i thought that was great and a lot of like good messages and stuff but it was it was kind of standard fear and i think the bar is just set so high for him that it's it's sort of hard to be constantly impressed with his um skills at this point we're going to wrap up um we'll be back in just a tick to talk about what is our next thing that we're talking about jeb it's uh trump's first press conference Sounds like the wow. worst storybook you could buy for your kid, huh? For all the talk lately about fake news, this political witch hunt by some in the media is based on some of the most flimsy reporting and it's frankly shameful and disgraceful. 
With that, it is my honor to introduce the next Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence. So earlier today, President-elect Donald Trump gave his first press conference in, oh, I forget, it's like 160-something days, I think, and uh, really came out swinging. Oh boy, he was mad as a hopper. Um, He opened up, I think, really well by uh, finding, and again, when I say really well, I'm comparing this to... Uh, the bar that I've set in my head of Trump. He he found a conciliatory note that he could bring to the press by saying, thank you very much to those of you who did not carry a story about me hiring Russian prostitutes and pissing in a bed. Uh, you guys are all okay by me. And then as the press conference progressed, um, that goodwill seemed to be eroded in record time. What was your initial thoughts after you, you saw that first press conference of your incoming president, Jeb? So many people use this sort of language on Twitter, especially journalists who all seem to, not all, but there's a a really goodly contingent that all seem to feel like they're uh, running for the fainting couches at every moment, especially the people who feel that they're the sort of the unappointed stewards of the Republic. But that ended with my feeling genuinely horrified. (laughs) Oh, God, that's not good. So okay, let's let's drill down into this. I'm going to be your armchair psychologist for for a tick, Jeb. What was it specifically that made you feel? What was your word? Terrified. Well, uh, horrified. But uh, horrified. yeah, like he he had staffers there to applaud. Okay, two things. Like his staffers were ringing the press, so they were behind them, hmm. uh, which is pretty much the same. Uh, setup he had when he used to, when he did his arena shows, he would put the press right in front of, uh, you know, his fans, like sort of the, the right in front of the the front row. So they had ten thousand Trump fans at their back when Trump said, "These are evil people who lie about me," hmm. and it's this cheap intimidation tactic. He did it again. So he he and then he had his staffers clap and and make noise when he demonized the press. Uh, he started shouting at CNN that they're fake news. Um, CNN misreports things. All outlets misreport things. Everybody gets stuff wrong. But he, like a lot of right-wing things, he took something that the left-wing got all keyed up about and, and that the left-wing created as an item of the discourse, in this case, fake news, and said, well, I can use that against you better than you, you can use it against me. So right. he's shouting down Jim Acosta and he's not, gonna answer him uh you know and acosta apparently at the end of it gets threatened with you know if you do that kind of unprofessional abusive thing and you don't apologize you're not going to be available you know we're going to kick you out of all future press conferences he's doing his job apologize jesus yeah uh sean spicer uh oh that was the other sean spicer came out and and i mean with the demeanor of a fucking pit bull you know starts excoriating the media and I mean, like yeah. Ron Ziegler on on PCP, you know, after like like a three day bender, that kind of anger. It was uh, someone's sort of see, you know. high school principal who has been at the school for forty years and he has enjoyed not a day of it, and he just came out there to brutalize the press. It was such a yeah. weird tone to kick off on, and then he had to, and he didn't. He kind of like he was just mad about all this Russia stuff that had been going on the last twenty four, forty eight hours, and then just brought mike pence 
into that. He was just like, I'm fucking pissed off. I'm furious at you guys. You're done goofed. Here's Mike Pence. <laughs> and Mike Pence always wants to kind of put on a brave face and be this forward looking kind of positive talking dude. And he's, it's, it's, it speaks volumes about the staff that he's surrounded himself in that I'm feeling bad for Mike Pence whenever I see him now. That's weird, but also true. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that way too. I always hate when I feel sympathy for the devil, you know. But, but so that too was was just ludicrous, right? Even even when he's doing a press conference as president of elect of the United States, he still can't get his mind out of essentially basic cable stagecraft. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a roast. They've got a big table up there, and they've got all of his people on the left, kind of hanging back on a dais, right? And then Sean Spicer comes out and introduces him. Then his attorney comes out and does, which is, I mean, a great look, right? When you're the president of the United States, the first thing your attorney <laughs> does is come out and go, listen, this guy isn't crooked. And, and then, then Do you know, comes credit, out and sorry to interrupt you, but credit to the, that needed to be done. I think I, I um, do not begrudge him. I can't remember what all the folders and paperwork were. I think someone missed a line that they were supposed to explain it. And then he, he came on later and said, um, I don't think this was explained very well before, but I, I think he was suggesting it was all the paperwork to divest him of all the really um, bad stuff. Well, not divest, but get sort of arm's length from uh, the investments that would hypothetically trip him up um, in so office. He said, you know, by the way, this is the, you know, this is the paperwork for all my properties. I'm not even sure mm. it was the divestiture or divestment paperwork. It was just... It was just Here's all the stuff I own. And then okay. when reporters went up to try to look at the folders, the Trump people went up and swatted their hands away. So, I mean, there there could have been there could have been invitations to a fucking quinceañera in there and nobody would know. I mean, it could have just been it could have been the novel that Jack Torrance is writing in The Shining. But it, you've got the whole like and, and, and even that too is like the stagecraft of a drug bust. Like look how much cocaine we got. Yeah. Yeah. But um <laughs> It's all fuck. It's a, this is so tricky, eh? Like figuring out what to measure this incoming administration against. It's like those were issues that needed to be addressed, right? And this is the way that they chose to do it. This is kind of within the tenor of how he campaigned and he won the election. So there is a understandability about you know continuing that path that he's walked, which has got him to victory. It was a real, it, it's a hot issue that really needs to be dealt with immediately. Um, the Republicans recently got scorched in record time on social media in particular um, because they were trying to defang the ethics committee. Is that right, Jeb? Which are like an oversight group that would be kind of looking into um, all of these incoming people, their connections, their business interests, what future decisions would mean for their own personal enrichment and uh <laughs> when that bill was introduced people fucking noticed huffington post did a piece about it immediately it got round and paul ryan who i think wasn't told that the bill was going to be put forward immediately was trying to warn them to just keep it quiet and not do it if for no other reason than timing and lo and behold his 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 prophecy came true and everyone was terrified about it but it, and, and so it was ultimately unsuccessful um but like the it just it, it does go to show me that it was something that needed to be addressed this was their way of doing it 
So that's yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, and and like it doesn't address anything at all, right? And it's 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 a classic Trump move where, you know, his his attorney at any moment in the last month could have scheduled her own press conference and given copies of, of this documentation to uh, to the press and done a Q and A and not involved Trump. Instead, he comes out with the. Uh, you know, the seized assets table, like a drug bust. And he, yeah. and ha- the, the, the attorney gives an explanation and he says, well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm turning over control of my company to my sons, but I'm not going to have any contact with them. And I'm going to d- divest myself. This is bullshit is a non-explanation. It's never going to happen. It's mm. still massively unethical. This is not a blind trust. This is, you know, n- no part of this arrangement is acceptable whatsoever. But yeah. It's, he- it's, pretty crazy that it's um i think he's learned a really important lesson and it it almost seems tiresome to point this out again because so many people have been commenting on it for so long now um breathlessly but i don't want to say post-truth but it's this um age that we're living in where if you do repeat something enough times like people will either just be so exhausted or overwhelmed by the dump truck of uh messaging that you're giving them that it kind of overloads common sense the fact that he, do you know, the mental image that kept coming to me when he referred to his two sons was Saddam Hussein. I was like, yeah. oh, here's Usay and Uday with their names. Uday and Kusay. Kusay, sorry. And I was like, shit, man, this is <laughs> like a direct, I'm getting flashes in my mind as you're up there on stage. You suddenly have this big, bushy Middle Eastern moustache. It was, it was real crazy. And the fact that he's presenting this stuff as that it would be perfectly normal um, saying that he won't be having conversations with his children who will be running his businesses while he's there uh, as if like that just fixes all the problems. But the thing is, is that he's, uh, this isn't um, admiration for him, but it's more just fascination with the phenomenon of it, that he's not changing. He, in the face of overwhelming common sense, he's not buckling whatsoever. He's just like, no, this is fine. This will be sweet. I'm going to keep repeating this line, which I've been trotting out um, for months now, that my kids will be my equivalent of a blind trust and we just won't talk about it when we get together. And it's so crazy that he hasn't wavered from it. But it, this is how he's going to do stuff. It's real freaky, man. It's like a different take on what reality is. Well, it, it hasn't misserved him yet. You know, he's been claiming to be a successful real estate mogul in spite of multiple bankruptcies and constant failure for uh, nearly 40 years. And the press just pretty much reports that. I mean, the serious press says Donald Trump is bankrupt and a fraud, mm. but the entertainment press has always covered him. He's always been on TV and radio. And so he's always had this direct access to people who want to be entertained and who are fascinated with rich people and who don't notice the unsettling connection between the fact that the only two people I can think of who had a solid gold toilet everywhere they shit was Saddam Hussein and Donald Trump. Um, So let me ask you this. When does the watermark get so high that he has to adjust that? Like, what is the force great enough to... Uh, make him steer off course of, of what he's been doing so far? Is it going to take impeachment proceedings? Is it going to take um, public polls going down for him and his popularity? Like, what do you think will be the thing? Or, or do you think that this is sustainable and this is what it's going to be like for the next three to four years? I, I think this is just it. 
um, okay, for a couple of reasons. One, um, the, the only thing that really seems to thwart him is a sudden imposition of poverty, which he's not going to get because, you know, he and his family are just going to do some massively corrupt shit and enrich themselves. Um, and, and two, like massive unpopularity, but the people that like him are so dedicated and they vote in greater percentage than everyone else. And he just won an election and control of both houses of Congress. So, you know, he has no incentive to change. I mean, he's got a only 37 or 35% approval rating, which is a, a, a historic low for the United States. Uh, but it doesn't matter because every single one of those people voted basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I think he's going to have people like Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus saying, look, you know, even if you do stuff that pisses off a lot of people in the, you know, Republicans are favored in off year elections. And even if they, they look like they're in trouble, what they'll do is they'll just run against you and say, we're not Donald Trump. They're, you know, most of them, especially in their house or sorry, not especially in the house are in heavily gerrymandered districts where, uh, basically they, they have to worry more about their primary than anything and being out, you know, uh, being outdone in terms of extremism. Yeah. So they can always just turn against him and then get reelected and go right back to doing the same shit. Um, it's, it really, you know, like, I think kind of like Hussein, it's going to end when somebody slaps the cuffs on him or, uh, maybe at the end, at the end of the term. Uh. Damn, that's Blake. You don't think I, that even if it's not something that can force him to make the mental or emotional shift himself to change how he's presenting himself, do you think that there is a big enough external force that would force it upon him as an imposition? Maybe, that is realistic. So, i.e. impeachment. If you look at, so impeachment, and if you look at his, or, you know, violence, um, but if you look at his history, I mean, the stuff he responds to is being unpopular. So if you had mass regular demonstrations that showed that he is overwhelmingly loathed. And if you could do this in places outside of, you know, you look at the Trump campaign and they're like, well, you know, it would have been a landslide. uh, If we take away all of the coasts. Yeah. No coasts anymore. Like, you know, if we had, you know, if we had steak and ale, um, you know, we could have steak and ale if we had steak and ale. I mean, Mm. fine, you know. Um, But, you know, if you actually did have people in red America throwing shit at him, you know, if, if his car is getting pelted with eggs, if people, you know, call him a scum-sucking son of a bitch, if, you know, little old housewives are telling him to go fuck himself, maybe. Yeah, and but, I think that that's probably the most unrealistic um, situation of all because people have got to get on with their goddamn lives at some point. Like, it is all very well and good for people to engage in an election year or in an election season um, with some of the events that are going on, but people got shit to do. They've got kids to try and find some money to send them to college they've got to pay their bills they've got to try and hold on to their jobs and stuff like there's there's only so long i think that american citizens can hold on to that that rightful rage and indignation for and put it somewhere before it just kind of it has to go lower down the list in the regular course of life the only thing i can think that would change that is if there's some interesting application of technology where you get something that is as easy as change.org but actually has some effect in the real world to represent people. But I, I have my imagination can't even stretch into what the possibility of that could be. I think you're right. Um, you know, especially now that 
you know, our economic recovery has all been in crappy temp and service jobs. And, and mm-hmm. uh, we've converted uh, uh, an economy of people with salaries and pensions and overtime to people who, you know, uh, take their machinist expertise to work at Home Depot and then at Subway. Um, and then yeah, Uber. You know, a lot of, yeah, and, and those people can't go out and protest because if you're working, if you're, your wage is hourly, um, you can't go out. On the other hand, he's going to create a lot of unemployed people. And unemployed people are really good at showing up to protests because they've got nowhere else to go. Hmm. I hope you're right. Um, let's end that uh, piece of this episode there. And uh, we're going to come right back and explain what a golden shower is to you. You, you probably already know if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> And what I'm going to be doing is my two sons, who are right here, Don and Eric, are going to be running the company. They are going to be running it in a very professional manner. They're not going to discuss it with me. Welcome back to Politics uh, with two men who are about to talk about sex workers urinating on beds. Because it's not every day that uh, hashtag golden showers is trending on Twitter. But it was yesterday, Jeb. It was an exciting time. Um, and the reason for that, which uh, some people will have been able to hide their ears from, is there was a dossier which apparently has been doing the rounds among um, certain members of the Washington press and uh, Washington people like John McCain and some others uh, since October, which was a collection of evidence supposedly accrued by the intelligence community Um it's been leaked. It got leaked yesterday, and part of the dossier uh, is a, a, a report which alleges that Donald Trump hired two Russian prostitutes in the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow on a trip that he took there to urinate in a bed uh, that Barack and Michelle Obama slept in. Have, have I got that right so far, Jeb? You interjecting I, with something? I, I think it may have been more than two. I don't want to sell them short. I mean, especially oh, I if you're going to do a golden shower party. I mean, I don't know why you would. I think if you had that money and you really wanted to file that bed, yeah, uh, I, I would start at six prostitutes. See, that's the difference uh, between you and me, Jeb, because I don't think they mentioned a number. And in my head, I just somewhere automatically went, it's two prostitutes. You think bigger than me. You got bigger goals, and I respect that about you. But also, um, I, I really hope that it's some somewhere, you know, like I hope that I, I, I have an impact on someone's life enough that maybe they change their text notification on their phone to my saying, I would start with six prostitutes. But <laughs> that's a pretty great way to get an SMS from your mom. So this is the allegation. And look, it is full of holes and it's also unverified. And I mean, on the balance of evidence, it's probably most likely untrue let's start there would you agree with that sentiment so far jeb i i would believe that he would want to defile a bed that the obamas had been in i i think he has a really really malignant uh uh fixation on them that i mean n- no part of that story like th- that he would just have a golden shower party surprises mm. me i don't yep. think it's I don't know. Like, I guess what I'm saying is like it wouldn't surprise me if it were 100% real or 100% fake it's perfectly within the realm of possibility for both there there is kind of like a lot of ways to slice this thing up um from the journalistic point of view buzzfeed news were the ones who published this and the dossier supposed dossier has been in the hands of um, multiple press agencies for quite some time who have not acted on it they haven't brought it forward because the facts have been um 
impossible to verify so far. There's an allegation that the Russians uh, have a recording of this event um, because they have bugged Trump's hotel room. So uh, according to this thing, which has got a lot of holes in it, it's got spelling mistakes. There are people and dates that are referred to which can't possibly match up um, who are some of Trump's people that were in America at the time um, and hadn't left the country during the time period that they're talking about them being overseas in Russia. So there's, yeah, like on the balance of things, it's probably not true. And there is definitely a lot of discussions um, that rightly are happening at the moment about um, should BuzzFeed have released this thing? What was the utility of it? Like, where is the line? Where is the public interest bit? Um I'm I'm not a journalist. I don't know. You, you, you're a journalist, Jeb, ostensibly. From what, what's your take in terms of the release? First off, I, I think if if somebody had released something like this about Hillary Clinton, you know, this is this made up. I mean, because you you look at that that dossier, right? And so much of it is stuff that you already knew. I mean, Paul Manafort mm. was clearly intervening in Ukraine uh, with you know the interests of of. Uh, uh, of Russia, um, other, you know, Trump advisors had ties to uh, pro-Russian elements in, in, in Ukraine or just, you know, uh, actual representatives of Russia. Um, that's not, you know, that wasn't a huge stretch. Um, uh, mm. uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, Podesta, and the Podesta group, I think is, is the term, had ties to uh, uh, pro-Russian forces in Ukraine, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um uh, you know, certainly, like it, it, there was that sort of avenue of, of well, that's a bit hypocritical when when everyone who was basically in the tank for the DNC went after Manafort. It's like, well, you know, yeah, right. we're going to do okay. consultant clients, but so, but like you know, you have these little elements of truth, and and then you have these sort of salacious bits, and then they're all kind of like gel together in this not very, you know, coherent or professional way, and you know, it could be real and just a hastily made thing or or something that's been transferred or rewritten or it's Piltdown Man, you know, where you, you've got a couple of fossils that are real and somebody sort of glues them together to create yeah. a fake missing link. And, and, um, I, I, like, I, I just, I don't know, like if, if, if Buzzfeed or somebody else had done it about the left, the left would absolutely howl. It's opportunistic for them to, to latch onto this. Buzzfeed's rationale was that it's out there and then people can make up their own mind. But mm. I don't know how anybody collects information enough to, dispute the veracity of this independently most of the the debunking that people are experiencing are professional news services that are doing it and many of those professional news services were offered this document before and yeah. turned it down i mean you could you could watch people you could watch representatives of other publications going you know hey you know raise your hand if you passed on this yeah yeah uh, um uh, so one of the things that has been rolling around in my mind, which I mentioned earlier, is the fact that, uh, like, how damaged is your your credibility with the public that this story could be believed? But now that I'm thinking about it, maybe we're just in a time where, like, kind of anything's believable because it's fun about anyone. So maybe that doesn't have the strength that I initially thought. But... It did kind of occur to me that um, even if the whole thing is an entire fabrication, and there I will note as well that there are some claims from a lot of people on 4chan that uh, one of their uh, posters basically made this thing up and then passed it along. I haven't seen compelling evidence that proves that yet, but it would be yeah, it's, fucking it's absolute bullshit. Damn it, because that would be hilarious to me if true. 
very very funny if 4chan managed to pull that off um but it would make no sense i mean though that's the big thing is that you know they 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 think that they've elected god emperor trump via uh this meme offensive online so why would you then create a dossier that is plausible enough that you could get the intelligence community and never trumpers to bite on it and then impugn donald trump because Because it certainly didn't make because it's not one guy and it's not one organization you know it's 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 like anonymous it's uh although anonymous it's almost like just a punchline now if you say it out loud but 4chan is just a collection of anonymous posters online who a lot of whom just want to have a giggle and see how much impact they can have online they'll just troll in any direction possible so i don't know if i quite buy that rationale of that they were one cohesive unit that um thinks at least that they got him into the white house and that that would insulate them from any blame of doing things to damage him in the future i think their biggest friend will always be just getting the biggest laugh possible on the biggest public stage so from that point of view I, i definitely think it could have been them but i just haven't seen any evidence that there was like well, a previous posting with dates or anything. Well, I, I can tell you, I mean, so the, the, that original post was made in early November and it was the day after, uh, if not quite literally the day after, then maybe like two days after David Korn in uh, Mother Jones had written about some of these rumors and accusations that have been going on. And then they said, well, you know, we, haha, you know, this paid off. We actually just gave all that information to Rick Wilson, who's a, a you know a, a Republican, never Trump commentator and like how you get rick wilson passing uh intelligence information you know up the chain to intelligence agencies who then vet it that's not going to happen you know the like the cia is going to go like oh rick wilson called with yeah. a story about donald trump and prostitutes we're definitely going to check this no i mean the vision i heard that is would never went from rick wilson to john mccain's office and john mccain got it got it into the intelligence community but i'm not saying i yeah, believe no, it but that's, that's the version i heard don't believe it's 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 fucking stupid like this would never <laughs> work like don't believe it and don't give him any more ammo and i mean it would be if if they had come up with this point that if somebody had posted this on 4chan the day before the mother jones article uh you know i would think that's great but it's clearly somebody read that and went it's not enough in, in the mainstream enough that I could plausibly pre, you know, pretend that I had uh, you know, massaged this info and given it to the right person. But do I mean, you, any, I do mean you, you and I could like claim that we were responsible for the events of yesterday yeah, yeah, as yeah. long as we wake up with today's newspaper. Yeah, which would make a hell of a TV show. And it did um, for a few yeah. seasons, and there was a great cat involved. Do you think uh, on and, balance... Uh, uh, Kyle Chandler of uh, Friday Night Lights, right? Early edition, wasn't that You it? got it. Early edition, yes. Not a lot of people remember that. Um, hey, what... Do you think that it's a net kind of positive or negative, this whole thing, how it's playing out so far for the Trump camp? Do you think this is going to work for them? I, I think this is one of those things where if you are a Trump fan, the fact that he can trash a Ritz-Carlton with a bunch of prostitutes just <laughs> makes him seem more balls-out awesome. And if you don't like Donald Trump, this just confirms that you had another reason not to like him, unless you're really into water sports. And I mean, God bless you if you are. But um, yeah, I don't really see how it changes the conversation except for like potentially. And and this would be the the aim if you want to believe that the intelligence community is biting back at him. Yeah. uh, That it's just plausible enough that he has to sweat it and it gets journalists going, okay, we need to dogpile this information and ferret out the real stuff. 
And that works if you know that there's real stuff there. Mm. And what you're trying to do is draw the attention of journalists who otherwise might be distracted from the outlandish uh, and tacky things that he's doing and not keeping their eyes on the prize. Uh, that would be your reason for doing it. But it itself isn't going to hurt him unless you know, it leads to something down the line. And we're going to have to wait you know, a couple weeks, a month to figure that out. And just to be clear, the theory with that is because Trump has been hitting out against the intelligence community um, with a lot of comments he's been making, uh, this was retribution that this dossier was released by someone in the intelligence community to the press. It was leaked to them intentionally to um, to, to bite back at Trump. And um, it's the... The relationship that he is forging right now with the intelligence community is going to be one of the things I'm most interested in watching develop. And it's just so scary because it's such a powerful apparatus. And it's it, 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 the US intelligence community always scares me. It scares me when they are on side with the president, but that's what's supposed to happen, right? It's supposed to be a tool in his arsenal so that he can make correct assessments and instigate particular kinds of warfare against enemies um but when they are not in tandem when they're not on the same page when they are quarreling with each other like i don't know what the effect of that is but i'm willing to bet it's probably something even scarier Uh, i guess it's a devil you know kind of a situation but the chaotic relationship of this super powerful network of intelligence members with all, all of this technology and finance and resource to really really mess shit up in any direction that they want to not getting on with the highest office in the land is like it's scary to me how do do you feel about it as an american this out of step relationship that they've got at the moment well i mean i i was a history student so my experience with the cia is usually they're destabilizing a perfectly normal lawfully elected democratic regime uh usually because the united fruit company is upset yeah, but not uh, so, at home. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's, but I mean, this is, this is how you get, you know, this is how you wind up becoming Turkey, you know, where, where mm. you have elected leaders and then periodically the military comes in and goes, no, this, this guy doesn't count. <laughs> We're going to have a do over. Um, yeah, like, so that, that is a, a third option, you know, I guess from, from your question earlier is, you know, uh, is he going to be impeached or, or, write out his term i mean the third option would be coup town uh, yeah sometimes some kind of coup but uh i don't know i mean if you do that i mean you know america's done <laughs> you're not going back to normal after that so i kind of you know i really don't want that to happen i was listening to the 538 politics podcast um nate silver and in his staff uh talking about this and he said you know i was, I was thinking about this today and America's had a good run. We were celebrating the 10th anniversary of the iPod today, and I recently did a trip to Rome, and I was thinking about the rise and fall of empires. Imagine if the iPod was kind of the pinnacle of our civilization. That's not such a bad run. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ, man, that's pretty bleak coming from a professional statistician. If, uh, I mean, if that's where you, your you, head's at. You, you could be England, right? You know, like the high point of your empire could be uh, textile mills that maimed and deformed women and uh coal (laughs) not being able to you know people dying of breathing the air in london and dreadnoughts that 
you launched and then that did fuck all in the first world war. I mean, that could be your, your apex, at least with the iPod, you, the, you know, the iPhone, you can look at pornography wherever you are. True words have never been spoken. And I think that that is uh, just the kind of tone I want to end this first back into 2017 episode on. Jeb, thank you very much for talking to me. Um, we're going to keep doing this. Uh, we're sorry there was a big gap, but we needed to recover ourselves. And we're also trying to think about how to make this thing actually sustainable. Um, so we're going to try and chase down a sponsor. Maybe you represent a large corporation um, that would like to throw money at us. Probably not, because I don't think they exist. Uh, but another method that we're thinking about is Patreon, whereby uh, you lovely people out there listening, some of you who are well-endowed would give us a couple of bucks and we would provide some bonus content and stuff. So it, it, we would love to hear your thoughts. If you have anything that you want to hear from us um, th- that would serve as bonus content, send it on through. Go to the Facebook page for politics. Uh, leave us a comment or send us a message if you don't want it to be public. That's fine too. Give us some suggestions on what you think would be worthwhile and uh, we will read all of them. Jeb, any closing thoughts apart from pornography everywhere is definitely the apex of American civilization? Well, I was trying to bring it back to golden showers and then you, you just cut me off right there and then went to the end. So like, oh, I was okay. really, I was doing a callback, but uh, no, like I, I think on the, the, the matter of sponsors, like if you work, if you're a company uh, with a heavily secured campus around Virginia or Maryland and you work in communications, anything that we said about the president or about the intelligence community that it could be taken askance, we didn't mean. But it's, it's all a joke. Have deep, we understand that you have deep pockets, and honestly, the content of this show can change like that. I'm backing that. Yeah. What Jeb just said, I second that as my final thoughts. Uh, not only can we be bought and paid for, uh, we can be bought and paid for surprisingly cheaply. So just think about that. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye, Jeb. Thank you. Goodbye. Sir, since you're attacking us, can you give us a question? Since you're, no, Mr. President-elect, Mr. President-elect, since you are attacking no, our news not organization, you. Not can you. you give us a chance? Your you are attacking our news organization. Can you give us a chance to ask a question, sir? Go ahead. Sir, can Quiet. you state, can, Mr. President-elect, can you state categorically, Mr. President-elect, can you give us a question? You're attacking us. Can you give us a question? Don't be Can you give us a question? Can you, can you, can you state categorically, sir, can you state categorically that nobody, no, Mr. President-elect, that's not appropriate.